Hey guys, welcome to today's episode of the Mogul Insider Podcast. It's your host, Adam Tatunji, back at you guys again with another episode. And today, I am sitting with somebody very admirable in the community with a lot of amazing stories to his career and has done just awesome things. And I'm, it's truly a pleasure to be sitting next to him, Steve Mensinger, the former mayor of Costa Mesa. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right, so let's get started. So tell me about how you got into, you know, First, the background and like, wh where did you study and how did you grow up to becoming, you know, turning into this uh, amazing figure in the in the in the public sector? Well, I'm I'm just an average guy, and first of all, the, the most important thing in my life is my family, and my kids. Um, grew up in the Central Valley of California, Northern California. Um, got out of school, went to two years at JC, transferred to USC, and. And uh, while at USC, I studied business. Um, I left three, sh three uh, classes short of uh, graduating um, in, in 1985 um, because I had a job offer to work for a, uh, for a local real estate guy who ended up being a very famous guy by the name of George Arduous. And um, I started in the mailroom, literally, I was his driver. Uh, for a year, and uh, f and then uh, in, two, in 1999, I was I was made the president of his company, and and um, in between 1999 and 1985, there's there's some interesting stories um, along the way. So let's get into that. How did you go from being you know in the mailroom, his driver, all the way up to being the president? That's a very interesting promotion. That, that's right a great question, and that my my own kids have asked me that question, and I've talked to a lot of people about it. The bottom line is, um, life is really not that difficult if you if you focus and you work hard, um, most people trid out of the opportunities. So I was very focused on where I wanted to be and what I wanted in life, and that was, that was more control in my life, and I just kept focusing on that. And along the way, George Arduous, who was the owner of the company, would say to mm -hmm. me, uh, I want you to do this job, and every time he gave me an opportunity, I said, I'll do it. And so I did everything from, from uh, um, driving a car to analyzing leases to, to development pro formas to acquiring apartments to managing office buildings to commercial leases um, he, he would throw me in every possible situation there was and um, I would always say yes did you ever ask for anything or were you just like you know like I'm available whenever every you year uh, the only thing I asked and he was the owner of the company and not my direct report the, the one thing I always tell my um, people I mentor is is you always have to you always have to set your goals and the people above you need to understand what your goals are, respectfully. And so once a year I'd meet with George and I'd say he'd say how are you doing and I'd tell him how he's doing and tell him where I saw myself in three to five ten years and um, that was very helpful. And was being president something that you saw yourself becoming? The day I became a driver, I told him, you would be I want to be I want to I want to be a leader in the company. And he said someday you'll be the president. Wow. And and eleven years later. I'm sorry, that was 14 years later I became the president. It took you 14 years to get there. Yeah, I left for three years. I left, th I left for three years and started a company called CartSmart, um, a shopping cart company, and uh, sold that, built it up and sold it, and came back to him in 1989. Cool. So you left USC three classes shy. Three classes shy. That's, that's interesting. We'll get into that in a bit. And then you went into this company. You tried to work your way up. Why did you leave if you really wanted to get to that position? What made you, you know, hop off of that train and do your own thing? I think everybody, you know, and, that, and that's more, it's more complicated than probably a one-sentence answer, but, the, but in the end, everybody recognizes a midlife crisis. And so I left and went at the age of about 36. I had my first son. Um, I had just, just gotten uh, married a few years earlier, and 
I wanted more, and I didn't see the potential to move up. And candidly, I think at the time, George looked at me as a young guy that came up in the organization. And I, in reflection, I look back, and I think leaving and coming back, leaving the start of my own company and coming back gave me the opportunity to be the president of his company. Really? Why would you say that? I paid, I paid the price. I showed so him you that, showed him that, listen, yeah. like, I'm not just... I, in, 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 his, in his words, he goes, to, to be a good employee, you need to be a good employer. Huh. And so I became an employer, and, and uh, I think you, we all know that if you run a business, you really appreciate um, things. You, you look at things differently when you run a business. And, Absolutely. And, and all the struggles. You know, and all the struggles you have to go through. You're the last guy to get paid. <laughs> oh, yeah, if you get paid. If you get paid. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. So you become president as of what year? Being the president in 1999. 1999. Yeah. And tell me about that moment where you finally got the job that you desired for 14 years. So it was a fascinating moment, actually. Um, George is a billionaire. Um, I think everybody knows, and he's very impulsive. And, and uh, I came to the company, and I, um, he said, he goes, I want you to come in, and I want you to run the multifamily division as a vice president. And um, I went through my first financial review in, in um uh, two days after I started, and three days after that, he fired the president of his company, and I became the president. Whoa! Was, well, what happened there? Uh, it was all it was all results. At the end of the day, everything with with um, in real estate is results, and the results weren't there, and he uh, he wanted to hire somebody new, awesome. so I became the guy. Wow. Okay. So and by the way, he'd had turnover, and in, in that position, he'd had twelve presidents in eleven years. So, oh wow, okay, so they're barely stuck. And how, how long were you president afterwards? I was seven years. Seven years, so you were like there for a while. I was there, one of the longest people there, yeah. Okay, and so this kept going until 2006. Until 2006. Right before the, the, the crash. crash of the market. Right, right, exactly. So you, you kind of got out right before Yeah, that. so I, went, I got hired by a, um, a national firm that, that was, um, had large real estate concerns. Um, I watched the orgy of liquidity in 2007, 2008, before the crash occurred, and and um, landed on my feet. Went to a, um, got hired by another large real estate company um, in 2009, and then the market continued to kind of lag. And, and uh, at that point, I got laid off for the first time in my life in 2009. Why did that happen? If you don't mind me asking. This uh, land acquisition, land exp uh, basically, you're, you're, there, there was more lots and and less demand than, okay, than uh, there was was needed out there and this is a land acquisition company so did the market crash affect you at all personally well, yeah because all of a sudden i'm without a job i mean i spent the first um, 20 years of my life employed i never looked for a job and all of a sudden the crash occurred and i had uh, i had no job and, okay all and, right and naturally the question is what do you do now and so somebody called me one day and said why don't you get on planning commission? You understand real estate real well, and you're in your and I. So I started my own company as a consultant, mm -hmm. which everybody does. After you left, after after, after, after you after got the laid crash, off, after yes, I got okay. laid off, um, I started my own company as a consultant. And somebody approached me and said, "Why don't you, um, why don't you apply for the planning commission in Costa Mesa, where I lived?" I said, "Well, interesting. You can look at the development process for people who are still developing, and you can understand things in a different way." So I said, "Okay, I'll do that." That's fine. And I'd been the president of Pop Warner, and I'd been the president of a whole bunch of other organizations, been on a lot of boards. So I go, okay, it's a service opportunity. There's no money in it, but I'll do that. Not a problem. You were telling me off camera that you're a businessman, not a politician, Yeah. but you were stumbled upon into it. Is this how it kind of all 
swirled into you becoming the mayor of Costa Mesa? So, so I was on planning commission, and people always say, why'd you go on council? And I go, it's kind of a bar fight. So there was an election in 2010. A colleague of mine ran for office. And during the, during the process of running for office, um, his opposition was towing a billboard around the city with his picture with, with, with a slash through it and all kinds of false information. And it really, um, it really bothered me. And so I got involved in this campaign. He ultimately won. Um, his name was Jim Regheimer. And, and uh, after he won, they had to appoint somebody for the open seat of a, of a council member leaving for school board. And um, I got appointed for wow. the first year. Very nice. You know, I love that you said you, you pointed something out. You saw something, you didn't like it, you took action into yeah. changing it. Yeah. Not a lot of people do that. So what's your advice for everybody that's watching? If they see something in front of them that they kind of dislike in a sense or community, yeah. but they don't, they don't necessarily know how to take the pathway into changing, especially as young people, so you know, something coming from my side, we're not really given, unfortunately, there's so much out there, but we're not given the tools to do certain things. We're not like, we're not really, so what's, what's your advice on how to take action into, you know, changing issues around you that you don't believe in or how did you get started in that sense? I mean, you, you kind of had a pathway and a resume. Yeah, yeah. So what if someone that doesn't, how can they get into this kind of things? Well, I mean, first of all, if you have a concern, the, the answer to your answer is probably simpler than, than um, one may think. If, you, if something bothers you, you ask questions. And, and, and the natural question is, how do you affect change? And um, so if, you, if you're lonely, then go out and meet somebody. How do you go out and meet somebody? You've got to get off the couch and you've got to go out and do something about it. In my particular case, I didn't, like the, I, I didn't like the I didn't like the uh, politics in our city, and I said I want to do something about it. Um, but you didn't want to get into politics, did you? I really didn't because there's no money. I mean, local politics uh, is really a stepping <laughs> stone. Well spoken, is, no is, money. is really a stepping stone <laughs> yeah. for, for county and state politics, and then national politics. The, the latter is is local office to the next office to the next office, and you continue to go up. I had no desire to do that, um, but I had a huge desire in our city to see roads and streets improved and I had a huge desire to see pension issues addressed. I had a huge desire to see um, uh, neighborhoods cleaned up and, and um, changed occur in our community. Costa Mesa is a great city. It just, it was stuck, part of the city was stuck in, in the same spot for 25, 30 years because we have no, we had very poor leadership. I see. Um, so today it's a little different. We're, we're trying to attract people like you. We want, we want the young, you know, the, the XY generation, millennials, all the young mm -hmm. guys are out there um, and girls are out there that want to find a place to live. We want, it, we want it to be a kind of vibrant, urban place to live. I see, I see. So for everyone that's watching right now, I'm sure it's kind of an issue. We were able to get in touch pretty simple. It was, it was not that hard. However, a lot of people ask me the question is, how do you do it? Yeah. How do you get in touch yeah. with people like you? You told me you got into business, you know, helping the wealthy. So how does somebody go from here to being in front of someone that's a billionaire and doing work for them and actually, you know, building right. their career. Right. Uh, Jack Welch used to say that that uh, in in the population in, in a in a in a population of, of employees, ten percent are going to make all the money because of the performers. Seventy percent are going to be your farm league. And the other twenty percent are somewhere in between. A lot of them just need to find something else they need to do. The bottom line is that's it's it's really simple. One out of ten is really going to work hard enough and be exceptional enough to go to the next level. So, um, for me, 
if, if and this gets asked to me all the time, what makes you different than anybody else? I just, I, I have a great work ethic and, 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 I'm, and, and I don't bring attention to myself, I just get the job done. If pe people that know me, if you ask them what about Steve Mensinger, they'll say, he gets things done. Yeah, I've heard that. They get things done. I, I, I heard about you a couple weeks ago, and that's the first thing I heard about. I was like, right. yep, this guy gets stuff. It's funny that that's literally the topic. And, so, and, and if you're about. on the other side, if, if, if it's political and I get things done, that makes p other people mad. Yeah. It's like, how do you get things done? You got to be, you know, politics, every time that somebody's unhappy with you, they make an accusation. Okay, I see. So yeah. now you got uh, you got into city council as of 2011, correct? Got in city council, and as soon as I got into city council, people said you can never you you you're you're a pointy, you'll never win. And so I said, oh, maybe I, maybe I will. And 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 um, I talked to my wife, and I said, I'm going to run. She's going, do you really want to run for office? And I go, well, people are saying I can't win, so now I have to prove that I can. <laughs> so part of you did it just to prove others wrong. Yeah, it's like anything else. I call it a bar fight. If somebody swings at you, what are you going to do? I'm not the type to run out. So Swing back. I swing back, and um, I did it. And, and, and again, I was motivated because I wanted to affect change. It's my community. And, and candidly speaking, everything I, I, everything I said from the beginning to what I say today is the same. I'm trying to pass the baton to the next generation without debt. That's and awesome. our unfunded liability in every city and in the state in the in this country is unbelievable. Uh, it's not a Republican issue. It's not a Democrat issue. It's it's a it's a courage issue, and nobody has the courage to address the issue. They just keep pushing it on. You're on if you know you're unfunded liability. If you at your age, every man, woman, and child in Costa Mesa has about a six thousand dollar unfunded liability that they owe the city of Costa Mesa to pay for employees that no longer work there. Hmm. And that isn't, that isn't right, and nobody understands it. And so that was my main motivation. So I mounted a campaign in 2012. I got the highest vote count in the history of the city for a first-time candidate and won. How many votes? In 2014, uh, 16,900 and some change. Wow, I can't remember okay. what it was. How um, was the transition going from being a president of a company, a, a businessman, I'm doing to both politics? So the, with local politics, you got to do both. So I go from my job to the, to the uh, mayor's office and back to the mayor's office to my job. So you're bouncing things all the time. It's, uh, it's literally about a 20, for me, it was 20 hours uh, a week. So if you, I put in a 50-hour work week, I'm putting in a 70 to 80-hour work week in total between politics and work. So it's difficult. It takes a toll on your family. Um, and you have to have a great wife. <laughs> let's great let's wife. get into that. You know, the last interview we did, we were talking about how to sustain a relationship while building a business. Yeah. You built a, you helped build a business. Right. You were mayor, and you sustained a, you know. A and I've been married 27 years. Wow! Well, congratulations. Yeah. That's and awesome. So I tell my sons that and this is for everybody to understand: the most important decision, single decision in your life, is who you marry. Is who you marry, because that that'll affect you. If you have a bad marriage, it uh, splits your net worth. If you have a bad marriage, I have friends that have had three or four bad marriages, right? They're very, they were very wealthy guys and they're just barely getting, I mean, the bottom line is it makes your life tumultuous if you have a, if you have a bad partner. Yeah. You know. What kind of, if you don't mind me asking, did you have any sort of, you know, guidelines set throughout your marriage to be able to sustain it while having such an insane work week? I was, by the grace of God, and I was lucky, I married the right person. Um, I have a philosophy too, and I use in businesses, and, and, and it's the same thing with my wife. I always look for, I was, I always wanted to be around. And even today, I like to hire people that have come from very, very good families. Show me a guy that loves his mom and dad, or show me a guy that's very that, that admires his parents. He'll be a great employee. 
Why do you say that? Just that just it's just um, it's anecdotal. It works because I've I've been in business thirty three years. Hmm. You know, it's very difficult. My wife my wife has a great family. She had a great family. I looked at it, she loved them, and I go if she loves them, she'll love me, and she, vice versa. Simple my math. My parents. Right? It's really simple math. My parents are wonderful people. I love my parents. I've loved every employee I've had. Every employer I've had. It's that relationship that you that you build along the way. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just I ask that question because a lot of young people nowadays, they have their hustle, they have their ambitions, their dreams, but the hardest thing that I find today is that they cannot find that significant other that genuinely supports them. It's very difficult. I feel I feel I have two sons, one's uh, 24 and one's 20. Um, it's it's challenging because you have so many. It's so different. It's so public. Everything is social media today, and yeah. you know, people are trying to find stuff. You can find people out there. You just don't find them in the conventional ways. You just have to find them in in, in the areas that you're looking for. You know, and it may be dating science, it may be church, it may be, who knows. <laughs> so when you were looking to get married, were you thinking of a person that's gonna you know help support your ambitions, or was that not really on your radar? Like, what kind of person were you looking for? Uh, I was looking for somebody to put up with me because I'm a very I'm a very um, Pig-headed people call, people that know me know I'm I, I'm very loyal, but I'm also very um, dominant. They did a personality. <laughs> they very they did. A, I had I do personality testing for all employees, personality surveys, and they tested me and they they looked at my personality and they go, I want to see what your wife looks like. And so they tested my wife and they said, you know, that's that's a perfect match. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. more I'm more of a I'm more of a dominant. She's more of an extrovert. I'm more of an introvert. She's she's more submissive. So our personalities. Are introvert. Open. You're an introvert. I'm an introvert. How does an introvert become a mayor? You're out in the public. You push yourself out. I'm not a. I, I, my my. You know, a perfect day. A perfect night for me would be by myself watching a movie or reading a book, and and uh, so. But I've always had. I've always pushed myself out of the envelope. You seem very much of an extrovert. I'm not. Wow. I'm not an extrovert. That's a surprise. So let's get, let's get into I'm that. More, I'm more comfortable. I'm more comfortable with one or two friends or by myself than I am with a group of people. Very interesting. So I go to I go to an event with my wife, and she talks to everybody. I used to call her the mayor. She would know everybody, talk to everybody. She would uh, make you feel comfortable um, more than I would. Wow. Okay. So, so she she's was kind a perfect. Like she was the perfect. The partner, perfect fit. The perfect fit. The perfect <laughs> partner for me. And that's what the that's what the survey said. And that's what the people doing the survey. They go, this is the only person that you could be married to with your personality. Nobody I'm else. Very, I'm very nope. dominant and I'm very driven um, and difficult. Yeah, as you can imagine, difficult to live with. I'm very difficult to live with. You seem like a very down-to-earth, sweet guy. I don't know. I, I'm, you, you, I'm a, I'd be a great guy to have a beer with. You'd like to have a beer with me. Well, it's fun. <laughs> that's good. So being an introvert, mm -hmm. that's very interesting that you brought that up. I appreciate that. How did that... Did you go through any hardships within your career to be able to like push yourself outside of the boundaries of what you're comfortable with? Yeah. And how did you do it? Um, you identify it, and I identified it right away. See, I look at I, I look at just like you're doing with with, and I'm not a successful. Pro I don't consider myself exceptional. So, for the record, here I'm just an ordinary guy. But you you That's you're looking successful you're, people say but okay. you're looking for you're looking for you're, you look at people and you go what makes them what makes them good I do the same thing I watch I watch the way people walk I watch the way people talk and I watch the way people act and in the real estate industry I was fortunate enough to 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 assume, uh, to work for George Arduous who's renowned um, for being you know a rags to riches entrepreneur who's one of the richest people in the country. Um, 
his personality characteristics are almost identical to mine. But he would push himself out of that envelope, and so I identified early on if I want to be if I want to lead, you can't sit in your, you can't sit in a chair. You got to get going. You got to move. You got to be in front of the people you're leading. So, any specific tactics that you, tactics that you'd recommend to the viewers out there on things that they can do to push themselves out of that bubble? Study successful people. That's the key. Period. Period. And yeah. you can read about it. Study means read about it. Watch about watch it. Every every time you have TV shows, watch 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 the Shark Tank. That's a great one. There's there's this ta you, you can watch Mark Cuban. You can see you can you can identify characteristics that that he does. Not that he's a perfect guy, um, but there's characteristics you'll pick up along the way. And that's what I've done my whole life. I've emulated. What kind of mentors? What kind of mentors did you have growing up? Um, people you look up to. Yeah, my, the three greatest people in my life. I, I had we had a marriage celebration. I gave the mayor's award to George Arduous. Uh, my mom and dad were there, and and, um, and my uncle. So the three key people in my life was my father, my uncle, and George. So those are the three people that would help define who I am. My father kind of my father uh, was was a uh, was a was a man of great character, very honest, very humble, um, a servant leader, and um, just a great person. My uncle was a driver. He was a real estate person. Um, he was he was ambitious, goal oriented. He helped me. He's the one that uh, said you're going to come from Modesto, where I was living, to USC. That's going to be your school. And I said, nah, I don't know much about USC, but I'll, I'll apply. He was the reason I was there, and the reason I went there. And they became and, he, and along the way, he's mentored me. But again, a hardworking guy. And then and then I ended up uh, by the grace of God with George Arduous. Um, How did that happen? I was, I was, you know, in, into the spring semester, I'm out of money, I'm shy of classes, I go, I either got to go home, I got to go home and see my, and tell my parents and lick my wounds, or I, I got to find a job. And so, um, and you're not going to surrender to defeat. I'm not going to surrender to defeat. So my, my friend said, hey, I heard about a job in Orange County with this real estate guy. It's an executive aide to the president. And I didn't know it was a driver. I said, that's me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm perfect. I'm going to be an aide to the president. You know, it's like a political position. And so um, went down interviewed, they hired me. And uh, the rest is history. I did that for six months and then they promoted me into management training program. And again, I got, I got, I got to, everything I did, I get, I, I get there early, I leave late and I accomplish whatever, whatever is asked or requested. That's very interesting. I feel like no matter what generation you live in, it's the same, same rule. We're all the same. Yeah. There's no you know, difference. There's no difference. You know, don't what you're doing here is is entrepreneurial, right? Something's driving you to do it. Yeah. You know. Well, let's get into. I appreciate you sharing that, by the way. Let's right. let's let's get into you becoming mayor, and how your first days in office were. And tell me about that experience. Fascinating experience. So, um, even better, I'll tell you. I, I got appointed in. Um, I want to say in the beginning of January. Maybe it was the second or fourth. Um, Within two weeks, and, and when I got appointed to office, we had a $9 million deficit, right? We had to make $9 million in cuts in the city to, to balance the budget. Um, it was a mess. So two of my colleagues um, had, had, talk, had been talking about uh, outsourcing. They went through the process of outsourcing, and I had no idea this was happening because I was being appointed. They went through the process of outsourcing. Um, Ultimately, we outsourced, and uh, within three months of me, me being on the dais, meaning being on city council, 
we had a suicide. The, uh, a guy jumped off the building because he got a pink slip, and and uh, as a result of the outsourcing. What the? And yeah, that's what I said. So I get a call that says, "Hey, Steve, there's been a suicide at, at City Hall," and I drive my car, and there's a dead body on the ground. And oh, you saw it? I saw it. And uh, there's a sheet over the dead body, and, and this poor young man had, um, um, as part of the unions, as as part of the process of looking at outsourcing, in government, you have to you have to give everybody a notice. As dumb as that sounds, the unions have set it up that way so that so that it makes it difficult in, and uh, for you to want to do that. It's it's a ministerial process that's that's archaic and stupid. So this guy had. Um, Apparently, he had been on drugs, and he had, he, had, he had been written up several times, and he stayed cocaine in his blood. He went in to get his pink slip and went upstairs and jumped off the building. So within two months Jeez. of me being in office, you know, I'm dealing with, I'm dealing suicide, with suicide as a result of, of council's uh, direction to outsource. How did that make you feel? Horrible. Horrible. Yeah, you don't like to see anybody die, and, and you don't like to be associated with it. Um, clearly, there were, there were there was... There were motives that weren't related to the pink. I mean, there were there was other issues. He was he had drug in his system, drugs in his system, and he had some uh, disciplinary actions that had occurred. But it's a horrible thing. Um, from that point on, we looked at outsourcing. We continued to manage the process effectively. Um, and by 2016, we had balanced, but we had balanced the budget by 2012. By 2016, we had a 16 million dollar surplus. Interesting. And how long of a process did that take you? Um, that's a total of six years. Six years. Yeah. And you that were sixteen married. million dollar surplus in one year. So the total surplus is over that seven year period where it was just just in excess of sixty five million dollars. Wow, that's that's amazing. What yeah. an amazing accomplishment. Yeah. Let's get into the interesting story back in it happened in twenty seventeen, correct? You were telling me off camera how somebody tried to boot No, you. no. So two thousand twelve I'm now I I get appointed, two thousand twelve I'm gonna run for office. Okay. When you run for office, you now become you now you become a candidate. The unions, which represent the bargaining units in each city, and there's there's multiple bargaining units. Um, they all want to meet with you and figure out where you're at. They want to see if you're going to be you're going to be amicable to their demands, right? And there's a negotiation process that goes on. Well, I guess way, 2017. Sorry, I guess 2017 is when the article was published and yeah, it became yeah. public news. 20, 2017, we settled. Oh, okay, so that's when the case mm -hmm. finally, okay, dissolved. I see, I see. All right, continue. So anyway, the bottom line is, I'll give you the short version. Um, the fire union says, we're kind of done. We're not going to do anything. Um, we'll lock our contract up for five years. The, the general employees union, they just basically said, we're going to defeat you because we know you're a Republican and you're against, you're against uh, increasing pension. You're against our, our pension, the pension concept, which is not true. Um, the police union met with me in my backyard. Um, they came over and had a beer, and we sat in the backyard and talked about, you know, the, their their aspirations or goals. In the end, their, their, the the last question they ask you is, "You're with us or are you against us?" And I go, "I'm I'm neither." I said, "I'm I'm for police. Um, uh, I'm I'm for law enforcement. I'm supportive of law enforcement. I'm just not supportive of unfunded liabilities and, and these crazy pensions. You can't retire." Um, and you guys will appreciate this. You can't retire people at the age of 50 at 90% of pay for the rest of their life, and they're going to live 35 to 40 years. You can't afford it. And and 90% of pay was over $100,000 for a lot of people. Our fire, our, our, our law enforcement people are retiring at 150, 160, 170 thousand dollars a year for the rest of their life. 
and that's a cost the taxpayers don't even know they're having to pay. Hmm. So two weeks after we had the meeting, they, uh, the police union engaged a firm called Lackey, LDME, Lackey DeMeyer, um, and they, and they, you know, the, the, they engaged a, the, the, this, this firm to get, dig up dirt on us so that during the election they could use it against me and I could lose the election. So, um, this is stuff you don't hear they, about on the This media. is like Breaking Bad. This is like the series <laughs> Breaking Bad. It's, 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 it could be a miniseries. Um, so they, 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 uh, they went into a bar on a, on a Friday afternoon uh, when we went in to have lunch. They sent a prostitute into the bar. And we only know all this because it's in the affidavit, which is public knowledge. Yeah. And they, uh, they set the prostitute in so they could get pictures of the, of the prostitute with both Jim or I, or Colin McCarthy was running. Um, it never happened. Jim Righeimer left the bar. They followed him home, called in a fake DUI, assuming that he'd been drinking, which he doesn't drink. He had a, he had a receipt for Diet Coke. And right after that, they went to his house, um, knocked on the door. The police asked him to come out to do a sobriety test, which no, most of us don't realize it could be done. Fortunately, Jim did do it, and he passed the sobriety test, and he had no alcohol in his system. Um, as the officer finished the sobriety test, he saw a car take off across the street. He got the license plate number. That night, we tracked it down to um, an individual. and and um, So Jim noticed the car. Jim noticed the car, and his wife noticed the car. They got all the information. Um, they tracked all the information down. We connected the dots that we thought he thought immediately it was the union. So we went to the law, the law, firm, the law firm site website, and it's got that as a tactic. It's got um, put pressure on your politicians during the election. Find, dig up dirt on them. Do all these. It's, it's a whole. It's a whole package of things that you would buy if you're a union with this law firm. Wait, what? And so um, <laughs> the DA. We contacted the district attorney. District district attorney investigated. The FBI came in because of, of RICO issues. It's happened in other places, and um, ultimately, we found out. I found out a year later they had put a tracking device on my car for two weeks, and everywhere I went, they were they were noting they were noting it, and they wanted to see where I was. If I was at a bar, they were going to send somebody in to get videotapes. What they ultimately want to do is they want to get a picture of you with another girl, so they can show your wife and say, "Support our package. We're going to show your wife this picture." That's that's the basic premise behind yeah. um, the type of politics that they engaged in. So the, the um, one guy went to jail for it. He uh, served a year in prison. The other the other gentleman, um, Scott Impala, died of prostate cancer during the hearings and um, during the grand jury investigation. And uh, the police union settled with us in 2017 for about a half million dollars. Wow. Did your wife at any point come to you and be like, Steve, you were just a regular businessman. Now she you was have great. all this stuff happening yeah, in my life. You know, she, she was great. I mean, she would say that, but she'd say, I love you, I support you, and you got to do it. I mean, she's very unusual. Uh, my friends did all the time. My colleagues in business would say, are you crazy? You got yourself why, into this? Why would you do this? Are you making any money off this? No, I'm actually losing money. Um, because I wasn't able to, when I was a consultant, I wasn't able to do new deals, all this information that was, that was stirring around in the papers, and there's lots of articles. People would look at it and go, what's wrong with Insinger? Why would they put a, why would a, why would the union go after him like this? There's an assumption that you did something yeah, wrong. Instantly. It's kind of like the Russian issue right now. Sure. If you say Russian, 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 people start going, yeah, it must be a Russian. Huh. Right? When the Chinese are really the issue. <laughs> <laughs> so, you did all of this just for the sake of 
making a change? I did this because I'm very loyal to my friend Jim Righeimer, and he uh, he asked me to 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 you know run for office or be appointed, um, and I did it because I don't like I don't like dirty politics. You know, I don't like what I don't like what I've seen. What happens, and, and this is what everybody needs to understand in politics. In short, what happens is special interest, whether it's in Washington, D.C. or Sacramento, they, they run the campaigns for these local officials or these officials, and then they become their directors. You know, we've talked about it for years, the military-industrial establishment. You know, they get embedded with a politician, and guess who votes on their budgets? The same people they're embedded yeah. with. Mm -hmm. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's, there's so much yeah. in politics right. that Oh, yeah. It's like, no, it's, who do you think contracts go to? Yeah. You know? So there's an inside game of baseball in politics, which I can't stand. And if you understand the inside game of baseball, if you understand the, the, the concept there, it's, you know, certain people know what it takes to be the best in baseball. Mm -hmm. It's an inside game. Politics is the same way. It's an insider game. We were outsiders that came in an insider game, and we, and we were disruptors. And, you flipped uh, it upside down. We flipped it upside down, and people couldn't figure it out. There's, article, there's a New York article you can read about us. There's a Wall Street Journal article you can read about us. Uh, we were on Fox News. A lot of, L, a lot of LA Times. Any backlash history. that you dealt with doing all this? Oh, yeah. You always get people who want to kill you. I mean, you get, you oh, get threats. You How get, did you deal with all of that? You just realize it's, you know, I have faith in God. At the end of the day, I'm not afraid. You know, whatever, whatever the good Lord decides. For me, I, I, that's what it is. The real issue is my family. Um, I, it takes a toll on your kids. My kids are, are young, and so they're thinking, well, every time I get pulled over by a cop, is it going to be punitive because of what your dad did? So there's a, they lost trust um, in, in local law enforcement for a while. There were some great cops in our city, a lot of good guys um, that have made a difference, but that, it hurt them. And my wife was distrustful of a lot of people as a result of this, especially in government. A lot of uh, tribulations but your family A lot of tribulations. There's a message here. And the message I want to tell everybody, I'm going to tell you, government's good, but small government's better. Big government, there's nothing good about government growing. Do you ever feel like it's just because it's too big? It, it's, it, what happens is, is everything, um, whether it's a business or it's a public entity, a, a government entity, when they become big, they become unmanageable. The problem with government is you can't get rid of it, right? When you try and get rid of it, what do they do? They put so much pressure, nobody wants to deal with it. Mm -hmm. They own it. You know, unions are great. If a union in, in the private sector, if a union and a, and a business can't agree, the business doesn't exist. That's their own decision. A public union, um, they don't have any opposition other than the elected officials. And the elected officials are, are like a high school football team against the NFL. They have no chance. <laughs> and if they get what they want, you just pay more in taxes. So we're the ones getting screwed at the You're, end, right? Yeah, yeah. The set, last, last, last election, seven cities in Orange County passed sales tax increases to cover pension costs. Did you know that? No, I had no idea. Right. Yeah. But then again, By the I time you have kids that are, that are like me, you guys are going to have your, your sales tax. You're going to be at 13% state. You're going to be at 9, 9, 10% for sales. Jesus. You know, you're going to have, uh, you have a, national, a national tax that goes back to 40 or 50%. You're gonna go. This is screwed. Why? And you got all these old guys my age retired living in Idaho, on these pensions. It's BS. <laughs> it's total BS. Do you think in government, people are just very selfish in a sense? No, they're not. The system is the system is is 
just imperfect, and and uh, there's there's not a lot of. Uh, but is there a way to even perfect such a big system? No, no. There's no there's no perfect form of government. The, our founding fathers understood it well. Checks and balances, and keep it small. And that's not what we are anymore. Hmm. So when you when you hear government wanting to expand and get into more services, it's it's you know you're you're. I tell people just say no, just say no. The private sector does. Um, drives this country with innovation. If they screw, if they fail, the, the taxpayers don't own it unless it's unless it's a you know a crony capitalist system like Solyndra, um, or it's you know or Tesla, mm -hmm. you know where where the government subsidizing all of, all of all of the um, or a portion of the car cost of the car in order for us to have battery vehicles. The reality is, with, even without Tesla, the other the other automakers would would do it on their own. And yeah. they are. They're mm -hmm. going to compete. Interesting. So now that you're out of office, how long has it been since you left? It's been two years. Two years. Yeah. Do you ever look back and regret any specific decisions you've done? Or if you were to go back and talk to the Steve back then, would you change anything? Yeah. You know, um, I have some I have some people that are kind of my... That's another thing probably to share with you. I try to surround myself with people I want to be with. And so I have people I always ask, what can I do differently? And so I don't have any regrets to my my time in office I only I, I, I only probably regret the fact that um, early on in my office I didn't listen better um, I, learned, I learned I learned to listen uh, I learned to listen later in my life um, or later in, in my term. listen to the people or listen to who specifically uh, listen to the people I see okay yeah. Yeah. Or would you say you were just like too caught up in everything that is just kind of uh, like everything else? You you kind of you kind of become a, a, a you become who you are. Um, it's it's uh, I don't know how to, I don't really know how to phrase it. Um, you mature. Yeah. Over time, just like everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You sit behind the dais and you make decisions, and and a lot of people come up and say things to you. As as I matured on the dais, I would I would uh, take more time to write down what their what their feelings and their concerns were. Interesting. So now you being a former mayor, what are the top three lessons you learned that you could share with our viewers today? The world is starving for leaders. Number one. The starving. World is starving for leaders. And you mean like leaders that can actually lead, correct? Not just anybody. Well, if you're going to be a leader, you can lead. I mean, if you're if you're a leader, you can lead. Yeah. But but the reality is, there's, there's lots of people out here. There's lots of people in this world. And you're you're a generation that's going. I don't want to be involved. I don't want to do that. But then you, also, unfortunately, I've seen it personally. Some people that aren't even like that shouldn't able, be leaders. That shouldn't be leaders are the ones in front of the cameras in front of the world, starving for leaders. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's one of the things that I, that I that I tell my sons all the time. Um, character matters. You can never get that back. So. Um, look at your life and everything you do, and say if if you know I've got I've got my my if you're a believer I have God looking over my shoulder everything I do I have to I have to uh, the way I look at it He looks at everything I do and I have to report to Him on that. Wow, you, know, you that can't you can't uh, you can't compromise your character because you can't get it back, right? Which politics makes it difficult, by the way. Politics makes it difficult because everybody's trying to get a piece of you for some for some different issue and so you're always saying no I can't do that I can't do this there's a lot of rules you have to follow and it kind of uh, gets out of your control it's, it's challenging it doesn't get out of control but it makes it challenging hmm. and the last thing is uh, the most important thing in your life is who you marry because you're going to go through trials and tribulations 
and um, we all are, you know. We have no money or you have concerns or, or you have failures and, and uh, having a great partner is, is, the, is essential and key to the whole process. Okay, I see. We're almost coming to a wrap up. So I have a couple more questions I wanna end off with. First, what would you tell your 20 year old self today if you were to look back to who you were versus who you've become? What's the number one lesson that you can push back or fish back to him back in that day and to make this life that you're living a bit better? Not that you've made bad decisions or anything like that, not at all. I mean, I'm just saying like, you know, as a 20 year old or as a young entrepreneur myself, we always make mistakes. So we like to learn from people like you. So what's one lesson that you can take and speak of? That one lesson. One very important topic. Yeah. Don't be afraid to do what you fear the most. And that's a tough thing to understand, but I mean, whatever you fear, whatever you fear, um, compromise that fear. So I'm an introvert, so I have to push myself out. I fear public speaking. I fear this. I hate so you're doing, doing great. I, I, I fear <laughs> this. I hate doing this. Um, but I do it because I fear it. So the more, the, you know, anything that I fear, I do. I like to hunt. I like to do a lot of things that, that other, a lot of people don't do. Um, so I try and find things that are challenge, challenge my, my personal uh, psyche, my fears. Awesome. And this takes you Attack to Attack those fears. This takes you to my second question. For everybody out there that's watching, how do they handle their fears? Best I know. Way, the, the, best, the best way to address a fear is, is, is with, the, with the understanding that everybody has similar fears. And the difference between them and you is going to be, um, there's a great book by G. Gordon Liddy called The Will. And it talks about his life and his, and his, his upbringing. He wrote down a list. And so did John Goddard, who was a famous explorer. But they would write down things that they feared in their lives. And every one of those fears they would um, face and on, whether it was height or animals or, or um, um, any, any opportunities the, or any, any, any things that, anything that came in front of them that they were afraid to do, they would address. Like Liddy, G. Gordon Liddy, his big, his big issue was heights, fear of heights. So he climbed a telephone uh, transmission tower hmm. and strapped himself up there for 24 hours. <laughs> He got over the fear. That's extreme. He got over the fear. He was an extreme guy. He was one of the Watergate burglars, but Hmm. he's an extreme guy. So you would just manage your fear by attacking it firsthand. The only way to deal with fear is forward. Go at it. Just do it. Go at it. Go at it. We live in the greatest country on earth for opportunity. You'll never go anywhere if if you if you let your fears control you. I see. All right. Well, this comes up to our final question. So you now you are the president of Mesa mm-hmm. Management. Mm-hmm. You've had a great resume. I'm sure you're a busy man. So how do you manage your time? For everybody that's listening, you know, I get this question all the time. Yeah. Adam, what do you do to manage your time? How do you keep everything? So what's your... I, I personally don't believe in the whole life, work-life balance because it's really what you want to do at yeah. the end of the day. Right. But for you personally, what is it that you do to balance everything out and to make sure to prioritize? The key, the key to time management is surround yourself with great people. Why do you say that? Because they'll make your they'll make your life very easy. So um, you obviously have two other people in this in this room that make your life a lot more enjoyable, right? Definitely. If you had to do all this, it would really kind of suck. Yeah. Um, you've got to surround yourself with good people and, and have the ability to understand what it is to 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 manage something. 
in this organization. Um, and, and if you have, uh, I always have a sign, I have a sign on my door that says no drama. Anybody that creates drama, I don't want to be around. I want people to solve problems. Remove the negativity from your Remove life. Remove the negativity from your life and surround yourself with great people and, and anything's possible. And you have to make decisions. I mean, um, I think I said early on, um, there's, no, there's no happiness in poverty. And there's no happiness, in, in, even though people think there is, in, in adjunct riches. What it is is control. You gotta find control in your life. And control means you have to make enough money to do what you like to do. And sometimes you do what you like to do, and sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. If you don't do what you like to do, then you have to find things to do after you work that you like to do, that are paid for by what you may not like to do. Sure, awesome. Control is a key. Control, surround yourself with the right people, and face your fear head face on. Face your fears head on. Well, hey, Just Steve. like you did. You called me up and said, hey, I want to interview him. I go, who the heck is this guy? <laughs> Any guy that will do that, I'll meet with him. Any person that has the courage to well, do that. Well, hey, guys, that. if you want to connect with them, now you know how. Now you know the key. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not that hard. And I do it all the time. Yeah. I do it all the time. I, I just met with a kid earlier that wants to change careers. I don't, you know, I don't know who he is. <laughs> it's exciting, huh? It's exciting. It keeps it cool. Everybody wants to help somebody. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, hey, Steve, thank you so much for being on the show. I Thank really you. appreciate you. You it's got been it. It's a true pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.